All right, well, to begin tonight, to begin tonight, what I want all of you to do, tonight, obviously, our talk is, as we were advertising, is on finding the power of presence. Okay, so in order to add to that, this is what I want to ask all of you to do. Put your phones on airplane mode and stick them in the basket on the table in front of you. I know, I know, I know, hard. It is, and I know the temptation is going to be, no, I'm just going to leave it in my pocket. Just give it a try, because I, I actually need my experience to illustrate my point. Okay? Now all your phones might look the same, but... All right. Now I want you, I want you, I want you tonight to try to be aware Try to be aware. This is an exercise I do with a lot of my friends. I actually did it last night. I went out with Zinjin and um, my friend Sean and another seminarian, Daniel Rice. And we went out and had a great, we had an awesome dinner. And what we did is we all took our phones and we turned them on to silence. And, um, and then we put them in the middle of the table. We stacked them on top of each other. And the, the deal was that whoever reached for their phone first paid the tip. All right. It was good. So no one reached for their phone, so I ended up paying for it all. But, but, it, was, uh, so, but it was actually, it, it actually made for a really phenomenal conversation. It was out of that talk that this, it was out of that conversation that this talk started to grow and started to kind of like metamorphosize into the talk that it is. Now, why am I talking tonight about this? Something that we hear about a lot, all these things. Well, this became a personal passion project of mine um, some years ago to really think about technology, because I have a general tendency of struggling with anxiety. I'll, have, I'll get hit with anxiety, and it won't go away. It's like a wave that just comes, kind of like when you stand up, up you know, you might like stand up on a building or something, and you get like an adrenaline rush. I get that with anxiety, and, it, and I can't calm it down. Like if it hits me, I just gotta ride the wave. I noticed that in the last 10 years, I've been a priest 13 years, in the last 10 years, I noticed that the anxiety like started getting worse and it would really, like, there were times where I just, like, I felt like someone, like, shook, put me inside, like, a giant barrel and, like, shook me up and then threw me out. And I was just like, why? Like, it was almost disorienting. And I'm like, what is going on? So I started to wonder, like, what, what could this possibly be? So I kind of traced it back. I started looking back into my past, into my life, and trying to say, like, wh where, what was, was there any sort of concurrent thing? And I noticed that it really began to get worse in, when, the iPhone, when the first iPhone came out. And I was like, why? Because before that, I mean, I had a flip phone. I got a flip phone, which was like super awesome technology, uh, the year I graduated college, my first cell phone. And um, I remember getting that, and I also got a Palm Pilot, which was like, kind of like a calendar and a to-do list and all those things, and you'd keep it, you'd like carry it around. And it was actually kind of small. Then eventually I got like a Blackberry, or Crackberry, as we used to call them. And then it like moved on, and then finally Steve Jobs, when he revealed the iPhone, it was like, ah, like everything I ever wanted. Because it had the calendar and the email and the text message and all those things, but it also had your music. And it had, all, it had the ability to look something up on the internet, and eventually maps came out and all this other stuff. And it was like, wow, this is amazing how awesome it is. But I noticed that as life got more convenient, my anxiety started to rise. And so I started studying it, because this is like, I don't know why I do this. I start reading scientific studies, because I have like this little 
little like nerd that sits inside of me and once in a while he's like hey I really didn't check that out and uh and so i'll just read like study after study after study and they all say the same thing so i wanted to share some of those findings with you but also one based on experience and of course i'm sure that will be concurrent with many of your experiences that we can we desire we want a life of freedom a life of peace we want a life of presence we kind of notice when we're not present. And I would dare say, I would imagine that many of you have the experiences that I have. Like when I went on my retreat last Thanksgiving, I turned my phone off for five days and it was like, <gasps> what if they, what if someone needs me? I'm like, I'm like not that important, right? So, so like somehow someone's gonna find something, someone to help them. Um, when we go, when I was in Ireland on vacation uh, a, a few weeks ago, I didn't have a cell phone, so I didn't even turn my phone on. Like, I used it as a camera, but I didn't turn my phone on because I didn't want to spend the money on international charges. And uh, it was so liberating. It was so liberating. And what I'd do is I'd get to the, be the bed and breakfast, and sometimes I'd turn, on my, I'd turn on my Wi-Fi to, like, check something, and all of a sudden my, like, that restful piece of vacation was gone. And so you may experience that. Those of you who have been on retreat... Those of you who have been on vacation, those of you who have traveled internationally, maybe those that went on a mission trip, you didn't have your phones on you, but it might be something as simple as just putting your phone away right now, and we put little pieces of paper out so you can actually take notes, which is awesome. Uh, and psychologically speaking, you actually remember more when you handwrite stuff. So uh, that being said, I want to talk about that freedom that we can have. And I'm not going to be like one of these like anti-technology troglodytes, because because which is what troglodyte means, anti-technology. So I repeated myself. But, um, but the, some people say, hey, you should just get rid of it. And we meet people like that once in a while. They're like, I don't have a phone. And maybe some of you are like that, and I have kudos to you. But most of us can't operate that, like that in the real world. So I'm, I'm going to be realistic. I know I need my phone at least until an EMP hits or something, and it doesn't matter. Electromagnetic pulse, never mind. Um, so, and, <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> But also because phones, I mean, these smartphones that we have actually are phenomenal. They really are great. I mean, think about the fact that someone could ask me a question about the faith, and I could send them, like, a fantastic video by Father Mike or Bishop Barron. I can send, like, an immediate link to something that answers the immediate need in the question. So they're, they're really great. I mean, they're fantastic to be able to have. So we should be using them well. The fact that I can share a video or a podcast, that I can create content that is going to illuminate and sanctify the world is awesome. But of course, then we have to look at it and say, what, what are the challenges? What are the effects? And then what can I do to have the freedom and presence and still use that technology at its best? So in 2010, when the iPad came out, Steve Jobs, if you've never watched a Jobs announcement, just watch it. Like, watch the initial iPhone announcement. The iPad announcement came out in 2010. So he had this great tablet, and when he got it, you know, Steve would always get up, he would announce the newest software, and then it, uh, he always have his same outfit on. He wore black a lot because, you know, it's slimming and good. Um, and, um, and then he would get up, and he said, well, there's one more thing. And you always waited for Steve Jobs to say, there's one more thing. You're like, yes. <laughs> what could it be? And he announced the tablet. So the tablet's been out for eight years now. And he said something very interesting. He, was, he called it miraculous. 
And he said it should be used, you can do anything on this. It should be used constantly, he said. Later, some weeks later, some months later, someone in an interview asked him, he said, Steve, your kids must love the iPad. And he said, actually, we're, they're not allowed to have an iPad. And what? He said, yeah, we do not allow them in our house. Because <laughs> he knew the power of screen time, and he knew he wanted his kids to be free from that. If you go to Silicon Valley, there is a school there called the Waldorf School on the Peninsula. And they actually are not allowed to use screens until they're 13 years old in school. That's most, that's something like 75% of the parents are Silicon Valley execs. And they, the first experience they have of technology is at 13 and they start with coding. So they don't start with consumption, they start with coding. Because they realize the power of being able, the psychological power of being able to have that. You think about 75% of us have our phone within reach at all times. Wait, even when we're in the shower. The iPhone now is even waterproof, so you can take it in the shower, just in case you weren't able to, you know, breathe for a minute. Um, and so if you think, there's this uh, psychological concept called propoquinity, which says that the things that are the closest to us have the most influence over us. If you think that our phones have probably the most influence over us, and so there was a study that was done with college students uh, it was done, I believe it was up in Princeton. And they, they asked, they said, we're going to give you two choices. That you can either break your phone or break a small bone in your hand. Okay? Do you know what the number one question that was asked was? Will I still be able to use my phone if my hand is broken? <laughs> so it's very interesting to think that's very crazy. Why is the phone so addictive? So I want to talk about some of the things that they use, and actually I've used all of these principles when I did advertising in New York. They're a little different, we didn't use it as technologically. But there's an idea in, in uh, advertising, there's an idea in media of called that, that there are stopping cues, Psych psychologically there's stopping cues. Newspapers, for instance, when you read a newspaper, you get to the end of the article, the article's over, it gives you a, a cue to stop reading. Eventually you're gonna get to the end of the newspaper, there's natural breaks. Magazines have the same thing. Even, uh, even television shows have that. So TV shows, like it comes to the end of the hour and there was a commercial break. That was a cue to stop watching if you wanted to. What we've come to with the use of tech and especially um, mobile technology is this idea of perpetual running. So if you turn on Netflix, for instance, there's no more stopping cues. There's just what they call post-play. So you end a show and the next one starts. Because when you remove stopping cues, your default becomes just to start going to the next one. In other words, constant consumption. So that binge viewing becomes the norm and not, uh, not, not the exception. This is really what we ultimately call the casino effect. I don't know if probably many of you have never been to a casino, but but if you go to a casino, actually it'd be a really interesting thing to go up, now you can go to the MGM. If, I've never been to it, but if you go to it, you'll notice casinos don't have windows. Okay, they don't have windows, they don't have clocks. They have nothing in the casino that would indicate uh, time. Now, granted, we have watches and all those things, but the air is always at the same temperature and everything's running. The reason for that is that you can basically, if there's no environmental change, 
you can lock people in a certain set of behaviors. Okay, what happens with the phone is it's always the same. So it locks us in certain behavioral patterns that are difficult to break. So you have that first thing. You have that kind of casino effect. It'll build on that. Then we have this introduction of what we would call a variable reward systems. So we've all seen like how we get rewards before, right? The first one is common. It's a fixed ratio reward. So what happens is that if I do these 10 things, I get this prize, okay? We get that. We see that when we like do scavenger hunts. You know, if you get everything, you get a prize. That gives a little bit of a dopamine hit to the brain. Everybody's happy for a minute. But actually, they've come to realize, scientifically, we realize that variable reward, which is something that B.F. Skinner, the famous psychologist, sociologist, uh, statistician did, where it realized that if he started to put mice in a, in a chamber, and every time they hit a lever, they may get a reward, or they may not get a reward, what happens is that the power of the variable reward was so strong, they'd keep hitting the lever even if it caused pain. So what happens is that like, the screen gives that variable reward. Social media does it with shares and likes. Like we want, we have get variable like dopamine hit rewards when we go on to find out how many people liked my Instagram picture, how many friends did I get today, how many retweets did I get for something. So what happens is that there's this constant, there's this, con this is why we would check our messages all the time. Like we check, did someone send me a text message? Could I have missed it? Was that a phantom buzz? Have you ever, anyone ever got that before? It's like I get phantom buzzes and I know my phone is in the other pocket. And I'm like, what is going on? I felt one a few minutes ago, and my phone is here on the podium. So there's this, there's this uh, kind of this, it's really the slot machine principle, going back to casinos. When you pull the slot, you don't know if you're going to win or not. Uh, so you put the coin, you keep putting the coinage in because you might get a reward. It's the same thing with social media. It's the same thing with our text messages. Then what they also realized, and, this, and it's brilliant, like social media people, I mean like Zuckerberg discovered this when he first started Facebook with the likes and stuff. Um, they get to goal creations. We love quantified goals. We love to be able to say, I met a goal today. So any of us that have a Fitbit know that, like we need to get to our 10,000 steps. But what happens is we get to our 10,000 steps, it gives us once again a little dopamine hit. And we say, this is awesome, like I got to my goal, but that goal is never enough. So now I need more. You see this a lot with the number of followers that we get on social media. Like I need, I got to 10,000 followers. I want 15,000 followers. And we set arbitrary numbers of happiness. But that becomes, once again, something that pulls us in. So those are some of the, you see with Pokemon Go. There's a lot of Pokemon Go people that hang out outside. We're a gym. So everyone's going to get in shape, right? <laughs> I want to challenge all of you, and some of you might be some of those Pokemon people. I'm not going to judge you. Well, I just did, but, but like, so if you come to the chapel and there's people, whatever they're calling it, right, going, all right, or whatever they do, if they got to get them all, right, so go evangelize them. Because they're standing in front of the church like, obviously they want Jesus, because you don't come to a church if you don't want Jesus, right? So they're standing there, and they're looking for something. Maybe you can give them what they really want, right? How cool would that be? And they're like, this is awkward. Why are you evangelizing me? Because you're standing in the front yard of my church. <laughs> so it'll be great. But why is this a problem? 
Okay, why are all these things like why? Okay, so you know, like I have some sort of like variable reward system. Okay, and you know, it's why. Why is all that a problem? Well, ultimately, what happens? We we start to be having start having a behavioral addiction. So there's like drug addictions. There's alcohol addictions. There's all these kinds of addictions. These become a behavioral addiction. I become addicted to how I'm acting. Now, there's short-term reward, but is there long-term reward? So I want to talk about a couple of like some of the challenges that we get, both physically, financially, psychologically, spiritually, and then the social consequences of, if you will, the overuse or the improper use of our mobile technology that almost all of us have. I don't know if you know this, 2.5 billion smartphones in the world. Like, man, that's just brilliant. Brilliant. Because they not only are putting a product into our hand, they're putting the means by which they can sell any other product into our hand. I mean, that's like, man, I wish I had that like, technology back when I was doing marketing because like, you can sell anything. So why don't we just talk about physical, obviously, some of the physical characteristics. We get, you know, get carpal tunnel at a very early age from typing. Um, we tend to be less active when we use our phones. Um, even I go to the gym sometimes, and uh, I, am, I always laugh at the gym because, you know, it's like people are there. There's like 500 TVs in front of you with everything possible on, and it's always like the news, which makes me more angry, which makes me run. So faster, I guess that's okay. But, uh, but then there's, so there's all the TVs. There's the music that's not on the TVs blaring in your ear, and then everyone, including the TVs that are there, have their cell phone on the treadmill and they're running. I was watching a guy the other day, he was lifting. What? I can't even do it with the microphone. He was watching his form on, like what form he was gonna use with the phone on the thing. And I'm pretty sure that was bad form, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so there's physical problems. Um, financially, what, what, does a, what does a phone do to us financially? Um, it, it's greed creation, so it creates obviously needs that we don't necessarily need. Because when you buy something, if you ever notice online, there's always the thing under it that other people have bought. Because it's like, well, if they bought that, they must know what they're talking about. So I'm, I should probably buy that too, right? Um, the, this freemium model that you see all over the place, they give you a free app and then there's in-app purchases. And it's really easy to just put your finger right on the fingerprint thing. It's like, what's $1.50? What's $1.99? It's nothing. But we, we buy things really quick. What happens is that creates a, another addiction of compulsive spending. And so it, it really is, remember when we were little kids and our parents maybe would complain about two things in the grocery store, right? At the line, there would be like basically pornography, right? You go up and it's like, oh my gosh. And when you're little, you're not like, oh my gosh. You're like, what is that? <laughs> right? And, so, and then there was candy bars. So it was like candy bars and nudity. It's like, what more could you need, right? As like, uh, and it's all right there in front of you. And those are the, I remember those are the two things. Like, this is smut and stop trying to get my... Because what did we do? We're like, can I, can I please have the candy bar? I remember I was six years old and I took... Because I knew the answer was going to be no. 
I took the candy bar. My little St. Augustine moment, right? I'm like, I'm gonna take it, why? I don't even want candy. I'm gonna take it, because I can. Anyone who says, like, I don't know, the age reason for me was lower than seven. But, uh, like, I took the candy bar and I get out to the car and my mom sees this big old, like, because when you're little, like, the Snickers sticks up. Like, you know? and, and I'm like, and my mom's like, what is that? And I'm like, what's what? It's what you have to bring that back, and I had to go in and like be like, Mister, you this you wouldn't do this today, right? Because then it would be like, there would be like all, the, it was, but I, you walk, Mister, I took the candy bar, and the guy was like, Well, no, 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 you know, and he like yelled, you know, like made me feel bad because that's like my mom was like, make him feel bad, <laughs> like so he'll never do it again, and I mean, but what happens that compulsive, the compulsive habit of wanting what we see. There is no filter on a cell phone. It's immediately we can buy. And you see that with Amazon. It leads to other compulsive behavior that's hard to control. So what happens is on the phone, when my compulsive behavior is unregulated, unchecked, it leads to other compulsive behavior. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, we don't work as efficiently. So financially, another thing that it does is that the phone technology, because it's always with us, keeps us from being as efficient in our work. If you think of it like digital smoke breaks. So like, you know, it's like people who smoke, they like go out for smoke breaks. They're not working in the office as much, right? It's, think of the phone as kind of like you take that little break every time you take a text message. That, that affects worker habits. The government actually knows this greatly in a lot of government installations, many of places you will work at when you leave. Um, you're not allowed to bring your personal phone into the building because there's obviously top secret stuff going on. And so the people who work there, believe it or not, are more effective than the private sector, even though generally the private sector is more effective than anything the government does. But it's because of phone technology that it affects them. Um, what also happens is work's not as satisfying. Like I'm not satisfied by my work because I'm constantly distracted from it. And when I'm constantly distracted, it keeps me from immersing myself. In other words, what it does is the immediate feedback replaces the delayed gratification that we have of successful labor. What's it do to me psychologically? Well, psychologically, the attitude, um, really, what happens is it keeps, makes me incapable of dealing with boredom. This is really important. I remember when I was a little kid. You guys probably experienced it too, I hope. I'd go to my mom and I'd go... I'm bored. It was summer, right? So you're like two weeks into the summer, all the joy and experience of summer is like, you've done, been there, done that, right? And you're at the pool, and now it's like, oh, my hair is turning green because of the sun in the pool. And it's like, I have a sunburn. I hate, why do I go to the pool? I'm swimming in the swim team. Do we really have to wake up? I don't know why I have to wake up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. It's summer. No one has anything to do. Why do you wake up so early? But we would go, and, and I'd get bored. So I'd go to my mom, mom, I'm bored. Well, go figure out something to do. That was her answer. What do I look like? The entertainment committee? <laughs> go out and find something to do. And it was having to be like confront the boredom that actually allowed me to go out and do creative things outside. And we would like, you know, create all these crazy scenarios and go have fun. Idle experiences actually help us to uh, have a deeper, more thoughtful, creative mind. There was another study that was done with college students. Uh, college, by the way, get involved in studies because you help the world and they give you money. I did. I used to do like, 
advertising studies in college all the time. I get like 50 bucks for a half hour of like, yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. It makes me feel this way. 50 bucks, please. It's way better than donating plasma because I got to put it back and it hurts. Okay, so, so um, <laughs> I did that too. All right, so... So in this study, college students were asked, they said, you can sit alone for 20 minutes with your thoughts, or you can get up and walk across the room and feel what it feels like to get an electric shock. Okay? The majority of people took the electric shock. Multiple times. Rather than sit and be alone with their thoughts. So the intolerance for boredom actually keeps us from having any sort of creative ingenuity. Boredom is the place where I'm confronted with the reality of myself, the reality that life doesn't always have purpose and meaning, and that Louis C.K. did a bit on this once on Conan. And, and, and like having to, I have to confront that, and in confronting that, now I'm able to overcome it. Boredom is where the most creative, innovative ideas come from. This is why you may notice that sometimes your best thoughts happen in the shower. Because all you're doing is showering. Hopefully you don't have a waterproof phone in the, in the shower with you. But it's a really good idea. Think about that. The like, great ideas come when people have to sit and be alone with their thoughts. Well, we've stopped being able to handle that. So I will challenge all of you when you go up to the JC next time. The next time you get into an elevator, notice. Everyone, even if you're only going one floor, we tend to pull out our phone and look at it. We do that for two reasons. One, because we're afraid of dealing with the other people. Okay, so it's like, you know, because you don't want to be like, hi. Because that's weird, right? At least, uh, it's actually not that weird, but it is weird. Oh, someone so did not silence their phone. So, I got to get like a better ringtone too. All right. So, oh, to the kitchen. All right. Um, so the, uh, so we have, we have that, right? But then we also have that we have to be able to look at the phone to, um, to distract ourselves. I want to challenge you, next time you get into an elevator, the next time you take a shower, the next time you go to the bathroom, don't take your phone in with you. And just be alone with your thoughts. It's same in the car. Like when we're driving, we turn on the music and things like that. Be alone with your thoughts. Don't turn anything on and just be, you know, it's obvious, hopefully you're not using your phone when you're driving. I could have put that in health, right? Physical risk, right? It's so awesome to watch people run into street signs when they're texting. Not driving, like when they're like walking. And they smash their head, you're like, you're a fool. I've done it, so I can say that, right? So, um, anyway, so, so it's really a good idea to be able to deal with boredom. And when it comes to study, and this is very important because you need to be able to be bored in order to be a contemplative. Like the great contemplative saints when they pray like I sit in prayer I have to be bored because it's there that I recognize that I am not the center of the universe that God is and I am now I can have a conversation with him and I can listen to him so boredom is incredibly important uh, it's also important for learning I'm sure all of us have complained or, or like been disappointed at how a professor maybe did not didn't teach us at the end of a course. But like I didn't learn anything. Sometimes it's the professor's fault. But many times what happens is the professor is there to give information. He's there to teach us and to inspire us to think. But it's actually leaving and then in the silence and in the boredom, undistracted, to contemplate, to think about the information given. 
the contemplation makes inf takes information and turns it into knowledge. So what happens is that if I don't if I if I don't face the boredom and, and the silence, I will only have information. That information never becomes knowledge, and so I actually am not educated. I get out of school and I know how to access information, but I don't actually know it. Okay. Um, we can also say that uh, in these studies, it's really important to know that you have elevated anxiety levels psychologically and levels of depression since with heavy amounts of smartphone use skyrocket. What happens is we don't have coping mechanisms that are necessary to deal with anxiety, depression, and sadness when we have constant distraction. It requires focus in order to be able to recognize what's real and not real, what recognize what is a true emotion and what is, is not. Um, and uh, it's incredibly high elevations of stress, especially in type A personalities. So people who are more type A, more like motivated, their stress levels are usually pretty high anyway. Smartphone technology has elevated the skyrocket them because there's no disconnection. Everything's important. And when you're type A especially, everything is, that's important needs to be done. And so it also interrupts sleep and things like that. Um, socially speaking, what does this technology do to us if we overuse it? Socially, it changes our experience of others. Like we don't engage other people as much. We're not present in the moment. And that is the, like, that's the cancer that destroys a community. So it's hard to have community if we're not present to the person that's sitting with me, in front of me. And we become less engaged, less engaged in what's going on. I can always tell if I get a picture from, of, some, of, of an event from someone, like on Snapchat, or you see it posted while you know they're at the event on Instagram, uh, or they text message, I can usually tell that if I get the picture while they're at the event, it means they're bored. Because what happens is we take the picture and we're not engaged in what's going on, so we're like, hey, look where I am. It's like, I'm, in, I'm having this experience, but I'm not immersing myself in it. I have to tell everyone else about it. And what it does is it breaks down the experience. Uh, it also keeps us from being able to have like, really good stories, because there is no like, real story, because I haven't engaged in the, in, in the situation, in the environment. So I have to like, go make up a story. Um, and then finally, with the spiritual, the spiritual is really important, obviously. Um, when I get constant relief through my phone, what it does, it creates an expectation in my mind that I should have a constant consolation. So when I go to prayer, we don't always get consolation in prayer. God doesn't always give it to us. If I go to prayer and I'm used to getting const the constant consolation of like presence, of like someone cares about me because they're responding to my text, then what happens is the... Uh, I don't get that from God because that's not the way God works. And I, God becomes like the mean God that doesn't answer me. He becomes the mean God that's distant from me. And we see that like in other societies where people were able to sit and read, sit and think, contemplate nature art, where things didn't move as fast. It's, it, they were, you read their letters and you're like, man, you really knew how to pray. I don't think they're any smarter than us or anything. It's that they were able to deal with the times where they didn't have strong emotions. Um, we also, we're not able to, the technology keeps us from having like an intimate romance with God. You know, romance requires some sense of like anticipation, a longing, a joyful expectation. 
are you, are you going to speak to me? If, if I'm like, are you going to speak to me, God? Oh, hold on. I'm going to check my phone. So I, okay, I'm going to put it. Are you going to speak? Oh, hold on. And so what happens is that that breaks down the romance. So I think something that we can really do is use you know, St. Ignatius's discernment of spirits and say, uh, am I left empty after this experience of my phone? Or has it fulfilled me? Is there, if, if the answer is, yeah, I'm left empty, then something's probably wrong. Um, I probably took my phone out when I was supposed to reach out to Christ. In other words, I reached out to a friend rather than reaching out to Jesus. So the first place we should do is, is that. As disciples of Jesus, we're also called to take up the cross and follow him. Well, the phone is probably the best way to avoid the cross. Because if I can avoid, you know, if I can, you know, it's, if, if I can avoid that, what happens is I end up in a lonely cycle of hell. I'm like by myself. I'm always feeling like I'm by myself. Because being in God's presence means like having true joy and true intimacy, even when that involves the cross. So if I avoid the cross, I avoid intimacy. If I avoid intimacy, I avoid God. If I avoid God, I find myself alone. And technology often functions to pull us out of that presence. And then finally, as I like again, and then I'm going to give you some ideas on like what you can do practically. Um, when we use this technology too much, what happens is it breaks down empathy. Um, empathy is developed through trial and error. So you see a little kid. Little kids, you see this all the time. Little kid walks up, sees their friend has a cookie. They think, I want a cookie. I'm just going to take that cookie. Right? And they take their friend's cookie and they walk away like, yes. All right? And then their friend is there and they're like, <laughs> they start it or they punch them but, but like little kids usually start crying right I develop empathy because what happens I've taken the cookie I walk away I've, I see my friend's reaction in reality right the reality not, he's not a representation he's really real I didn't see him on a screen I realized that taking that cookie hurt my friend now through trial and error I realize if I do X Y will happen okay that trial and error develops within me those muscles of empathy which help me to feel other people's pain. Screen time disrupts that because it's a, the screen is a mediation. It's not a, re, it's not a real encounter. It mediates and it's safe. It's, it's, it's antiseptic. And so what happens, we're starting to see an increase in a lack of empathy in society. And I, can, I don't think this is surprising to you. And you one of the reasons, I'm not going to sit and pretend that I can tell you every reason other than the fact that evil is present in the world. I think one of the reasons why you have these school shootings and all these things is because like, there's such a lack of empathy that people more, there's an increase in the type in people who can't experience. It's kind of like technologically imposed psychosis because there's a disconnection. We've had 10 years of smart screen, smartphones and eight years of tablets. I just wonder what will a generation growing up today that's never known life without a screen, what will they be like? And what can we do? Because kids watch us. Like little kids watch adults to say like, how am I supposed to act? If we're constantly taking out our phone and our screen and people see that, they learn I should do the same thing. So perhaps as an act of charity, we can even simply for them, we can help them decrease their social anxiety. Because not only do I not develop 
empathy when I'm too addicted to it, but I also, it's an increase of like, you know, this, a fear of taking social risk, a fear of, of, of offending someone, right? Because we didn't have that empathy building when we're younger. What happens is that we fear other people. And I don't, that's clearly like a problem today. That there's this fear of like, I'm going to offend someone. Are you sure? No. Well, then take a risk. Like, be engaged with another person. Yeah, you may make a mistake, but that's okay. You learn through that. So what are some of the things that we can do? I'm going to give you very practical thoughts, and I hope you share these with friends and stuff. Um, the first thing is, is called, it comes out of attention restoration theory. Okay, so the idea is that if I spend time in nature, it counterbalances screen time. So the first thing to do is... Uh, we need to restore our natural resources, right? And the best way to restore our natural resources is to go out into the natural resources, to actually go out into nature and overcome what we would call nature uh, deficit disorder. Because, like, we're made to be outside. We're made, our circadian rhythms of sleep are made to see, like, sunrise and sunset. It gives us more peaceful sleep. So short bursts of time in nature make us healthier and happier. That's it. Literally going for a walk in nature every day Without our phone, doesn't mean we don't have to have our phone on us, but silence it and put it in our backpack, is one of the best things that we can do. It helps us to engage in a mindfulness experience. Buddhist monks have this amazing thing they do. I was, I, was, I, have, I have a friend who is a Buddhist monk, and, and they walk very slow. There's a thing, there's like a breathing mindfulness exercise where they walk very slow. One year for Lent, my spiritual director told me, he said, this year, you're going to walk slowly everywhere. Now, you can imagine like, how hard that was for me, right? And, and, and so, not like this. That would look ridiculous, right? But, but he walked, like the, the, the Buddhists will often, the monks will often walk very slow and meditate on the feeling of every step. They'll be mindful of their emotions, of the sounds around them, of nature. This might sound kind of like weird hippie stuff to some, but they were onto something. Like we've kind of lost contact with nature. The old idea of stop and smell the roses perhaps would really help us, especially this time of year. Like stop and actually like experience nature. Let the pollen get on you. Even if you're allergic, who cares if you're allergic? You get a sniffle, who cares? And you're like, but you like, you were alive, right? You were alive. You were not hermetically sealed into like protective environments. So here's some things that we can do. The first thing is how do I use my phone? Do I use it for entertainment, information, or communication, or all three? My advice to you is if you use your phone for entertainment, try to stop. Okay, information, great. I'm looking stuff up, I'm learning. Uh, communication, great. But entertainment, like get rid of games. Get rid of like apps that like give you those little dopamine hits. Start there, slowly, slowly letting go. Um, getting rid of, as I said, getting rid of going cold turkey on technology is not possible. We live in a technological world. I'm using technology right now, right? I can't not use this. But at the same time, how about our notifications, our icon counts? Um, how many of those things can we turn off? Do I really need to know how many emails I have all the time? Hide apps and back folders. So I have a friend who what he does is he takes all of his apps, he puts them in one folder on the fourth page. And then everything is blank on the front. If he needs something, he swipes down and searches for it, but he has to think. And on the phone, it says, with a black background, it says in white, why am I in your hand? So when he picks up the phone, he's like, I don't know. He puts it down. Do I really need to do this? Another thing to do is, as I said, like you have your phones in your baskets. 
A great thing to do, I don't have it on me right now, is carry just a little mini notebook around with you. When you want to text somebody, when you need to like, write down a to-do, when you, um, when you, uh, you want to send a message, when you want to look something up, just take a moment, write it in the little book, put it back in your pocket. Later that day, later that night, take that book out and see how many of those things are really still important. I will bet you that your to-do list will be half every day of what it normally is. I would bet you that the messages we thought were important in the moment were not that important later. It really is liberating and freeing. I started doing this a while ago, and I still have a ton of to-dos, but it takes off. There's like things I'm like, why? I don't even know what that means. Like, why was I reading that? Why was I doing that? Um, try to be aware, like when we get into the elevator, of like, how am I feeling right now? Okay, this is important to be mindful of these things. It's called motivational interviewing. Okay, what's my motivation in this scene, actors will say. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why did I just reach for my phone? It was interesting, last night when I was at dinner with the seminarians, like ideas and thoughts would come up, and I would, my phone was here, but I would like reach in my pocket. It was, I was a behavioral, like I behaviorally like had trained myself to reach in my pocket every time I had an idea I wanted to write down. Or every time I had something I wanted to share with somebody. And not having the phone on me made me go, oh, why am I? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, how accessible is my phone to me? How can I create a behavioral architecture which is more freeing? So, like, what can I do to uh, sleep better, for instance? Maybe 75% of people sleep with their phone. Okay, so maybe a good thing to do is pick a time and say, I'm not going to use my phone anymore. Because that blue screen actually affects the way we sleep. It throws off our circadian rhythms. It's kind of like self-induced jet lag. Um, we, we like constantly, it's like, it's daytime, no it's not, it's daytime, no it's not. And our body is like, what's happening? <laughs> so, so putting it away. I also want to recommend to you uh, to set a time every day you won't have your phone on. Maybe it's dinner time. At dinner, I'm going to sit down with my friends, I'm going to put my phone, I'm going to turn it off, or I'm going to silence them, I'm going to put it in my backpack, and I'm just going to be with my friends. And, and this is something to talk about with friends, too, is to say, kind of come up with phone etiquette. Like when we, or like when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're hanging, this is huge in relationships. I'm telling you, like boyfriends, girlfriends, like huge. You want, you want a successful marriage, have times where your phones are off, right? That's hugely important because what you're saying is you're important right now, not whoever I'm talking to. Okay. But to like have phone etiquette with your friends and then ask, like ask your friends to call you out and you call them out too. So it's like, who's important right now? That's always a great, like, if we reach for my phone, it's like, who's important right now? Am I important or is the random person you're texting important? That's good to, like, call each other on it, to help each other out um, with those things. Pick that time every day. Pick that place. For, perhaps you have a place where you go where the phone's not allowed to go, where no technology is allowed. Like, I have a reading area of my, like, the corner of my room where I don't, like, I don't bring my phone in there. I get to sit and just relax. Um... What are some things you can do to replenish yourself? Go outside in nature. Prayer, obviously. Take time for exercise without your phone. Like, go for a run and don't listen to music or a podcast. You might actually be aware your heart rate will be lower if you run without music, which means you'll actually be in, your like, heart will operate better because when we run with music, we don't pace ourselves right. You don't, we don't have a rhythm of breath, which throws our heart rate off, which makes is unhealthy. Um, be mindful of beauty. 
When I was on my retreat, my retreat master told me, I want you to go, I want you to sit, I want you to listen with your phone on. Listen to a piece of classical music from beginning to end. I realized I hadn't done that in like forever. And I sat and I listened and I gave myself permission to just sit and listen to the music and nothing else all the way through. And it took me from like stress to absolute rest in 30 minutes. Perhaps you could do that too. And I really do want to recommend you mindfulness meditation. Sitting and being aware of your breath, turning off the lights, breathing and relaxing. Finally, create stop cues. Okay, stopping cues. Uh, So what do we do? When we sit down and watch Netflix, set a timer. How many many shows am I going to watch? I'm going to watch two episodes of Stranger Things. How long is that? It's an hour, right? So I'm going to watch two episodes of this show. I'm setting an alarm in another room, not in the room I'm in, not one that I can turn off easily. In the other room, I'm going to set a two-hour alarm. I'm allowed to watch two shows. At the end of those two hours, it's going to give me a stopping cue, which says I can end this. And I recommend this for work, too. It's called the Pomodoro Technique, right? When you're doing studies, like set a timer, study for that amount of time. When the alarm goes off, give yourself a break. Give yourself a stopping cue. And then finally, I really would recommend with, uh, turning off credit card stuff on the phone. Okay, so like if I'm going to go to Amazon and buy something or to iTunes and buy something or wherever we consume is to buy a gift card, put the gift card on, say, I'm giving myself an Amazon card of $25. That's all I got, $25. My credit card's not in there. What happens is that it makes me sit and say, do I really need this? Because I only have X number of dollars to use. That keeps us from being compulsive shoppers and compulsive users of that technology. And um, that is it. I hope that helped you. And um, yeah, you can pick your phones up.